This evening's scripture reading will be from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're going to read two scripture readings from John, chapter 6. And we're going to read God's Word this evening under the heading of the Bread of Life. The Bread of Life from John, chapter 6. Beginning our reading in verse 26. The Lord Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set a seal. And then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? And what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. And then we'll jump down to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it excuse me, so that they may eat of it, one may eat of it, and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. For My flesh is true food and My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me and I in him as the living Father sent Me. And I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on Me, he also will live because of Me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Here ends the reading of God's Word this evening. And then our confessional reading this evening will be from the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 29, which can be found in the forms and prayers in the pew in front of you, on page 232. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 29. Beginning in question 78, Lord's Day 29. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? Together we respond, no. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood, and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, 
so too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, even though it is called the body of Christ, in keeping with the nature and language of sacraments. Question 79. Why then does Christ call the bread His body and the cup His blood, or the new covenant in His blood? And Paul used the words, a participation in Christ's body and blood. Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too His crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. But more important, He wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we through the Holy Spirit's work share in His true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive these holy signs in His remembrance and that all His suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we personally had suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. Blessed congregation, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus held up bread and He said, Take, eat, this is My body. Likewise, He took the cup and He said, Take, drink, this is My blood. Church historians note that there is no more fiercely debated doctrine than that of the Lord's Supper. And the whole debate is around that little English word, is. What does is mean? That's the question we're going to ask this evening. What does is mean? Mean And don't the Jews ask that question in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And it's imperative that we ask this question. Robert Lethem notes that the, a man's view of the Lord's Supper was often seen as the litmus test of his Christian faith. And let us never forget Cranmer, Latimer, Ridley, and Hooper were all burned at the stake over this doctrine. They gave their lives to ask this question. In so doing, they denied the Roman doctrine of transubstantiation and lost their lives. What does is mean? Protestants were not exempt from this controversy. In every pastor's study, there is volume upon volume which debates, defines, and attempts to explain what that little word is means. And it's imperative that we get it right. Look what Jesus says in verse 51 with me this evening. He says, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. 
This, what we're talking about this evening is the sign of union and communion with Christ. It's the sign of eternal life. It's the sign of the Kingdom of Heaven. The sign that you are not condemned. The sign that Jesus died for you. He rose for you. He is in Heaven right now for you. That's what we're talking about this evening. We must partake of the bread of life. But the million dollar question is, how is Christ's body and blood swallowed and consumed by us? Our catechism's answer this evening is that we have communion with Christ in the Lord's Supper spiritually. We have communion with Christ in the Lord's Supper spiritually. You see that already in question 79 where it says that He wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, what I want us to see in our time together this evening is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The true communion of the body and blood of Christ is by the power of the Spirit when we eat and drink physical elements. This is what Jesus teaches us in John 6. John chapter 6 is often called the bread of life discourse. Here, Jesus is just beginning His ministry. He has done four miracles at this point in the Gospel of John. The wedding of Canaan where He turns water into wine, chapter 2. He has healed the official's son, chapter 4. He's healed the lame man, chapter 5. But in chapter 6, Jesus does the most impressive miracle thus far in the feeding of the 5,000. And people are coming to Him in droves. He can't get away from these people. But what we're going to see is that they do not come for Christ. They come for their own personal gain. They come for the sign. Not who the sign points to. True communion, congregation. This is our theme for our time together. True communion with the Lord Jesus is spiritual in nature. I want to show you this in two points. Why Christ is not physically present in the bread and wine And then our second point, why it's better Christ is spiritually present in the bread and the wine. Let's look at our first point. Why Christ is not physically present in the bread and wine. In John chapter 6, there are six exchanges between Christ and those who are following Him. But John highlights that these people are having a hard time understanding Christ's Signs. One of the most important words in our Scripture passage this evening is found in verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, key word, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. A sign. Like we talked about these last five weeks or so. Does not point to itself But a sign's role, a signpost, is to point you beyond itself 
to something in the distance. For example, boys and girls, remember that if a sign says 50 miles to Grand Rapids, that sign is not Grand Rapids. You still have a long ways to go. A sign points us to something ahead. And Jesus is saying that His healings, His feeding of the 5,000, all of the wonders that He has performed pointed to something else. They pointed to Him as the Messiah. They're missing what the sign points to. And I think they're exhibiting here two classic misunderstandings when it comes to signs. Misunderstandings that Christians still struggle with today. I want to point out to you two misunderstandings from John 6. Misunderstanding number one is they had a fixation on the sign itself. Fixation on the sign itself. They're overly fixated, overly focused on the sign. As I mentioned, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And at this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has become wildly popular. So popular, flip one page over to verse 1 of John chapter 6. Verse 2 tells us that a large crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was doing to the sick. And there was such a crush around Jesus. Such a wild pursuit of this man that we read in John chapter 6, verse 1, that He sends His disciples across the lake to Bethsaida so they could get some rest and relaxation. But the crowds see where the boats are going. They get to the other side of the lake and behold, there they are. And so Christ ministers to them, feeds the 5,000, and at this point they're really exhausted and really tired. So if you flip to verse 22, He sends them to the other side of the lake and they see the boats going that way again and by the time they get to the other side, there the crowds are again. The impression that John is giving us is that the crowds are wild. The crowds are fanatic in their pursuit of Jesus. But they are not pursuing Him because they want to be followers of Christ. They're pursuing Him because they are followers of bread. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That they are so focused on the bread, they are missing the Messiah who gave it to them. And this is something we as Christians need to grasp as well. That the signs Jesus give us point to a deep spiritual need. Bread fills the stomach. It satisfies for a moment. But these followers have a deeper, more spiritual need than just a loaf of bread. 
They don't need something that can just give them physical life. They need something that can give them spiritual life. Do not work, verse 27, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. It's as if Jesus is saying, stop yearning for the loaves. As if physical food can satisfy your hearts. You need to look beyond the sign. What the sign points to. You need to look to the spiritual bread which produces and sustains everlasting life. That's the first misunderstanding here. A fixation on the sign. Misunderstanding number two is that there is a fixation on ourselves. A fixation on themselves. Consider what Jesus has just taught them about the bread of life. Look at verse 27. The bread of life is a food that endures to eternal life. That those who consume it will never die. They will never be hungry. They will live forever. He says it's the Son of Man that will give it to them. That Jesus, this is a messianic term, is the Messiah and His mission is to give this bread. And that the Father has set His seal upon Him. That this is the whole purpose Jesus came. He has not come to bring physical food. He's not to come to just give fish and loaves. But He's come to give something greater. These are wonderful claims. This is the revealing of the Messiah. The revealing of His mission. But what do the crowds focus on? In verses 27-30. through What must we do to be doing the works of God? See, this is the second misunderstanding of the signs. We can so often focus on ourselves. In fact, in the Greek, this is actually very strong. The whole sentence is focused on their work. What do we have to do to get this bread? But Jesus says it's the Son of Man who gives the bread. You see, what these two misunderstandings show us is that in order to understand God's signs, we cannot walk in the flesh. We must have faith in order to understand the signs. See, in fact, this is the whole thrust of this passage. You must have faith. This is also the passage we jumped over it in order to look at Jesus' narrative on the bread of life. But this is also the passage where Jesus says that the Father is the one who calls these people to the Son. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast him out. Verse 40, For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. I will raise Him up on the last day. What is Christ saying here? In order to receive the bread, 
in order to receive what the sign points towards, we must be a people of faith. Not faith in the bread. And surely not faith in ourselves. But faith in Christ, Jesus says, verse 20. This is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. Congregation, do not miss this. Jesus is saying if the followers want what the sign points to, if we want what the sign points to, we must have faith. Faith, again, not in the physical sign, nor faith in what we bring to the table, nor faith in what the minister does, nor faith in the church that it's within, but faith in what the sign points towards. Of which Christ says twice, I am the bread of life. See, it's the same thing, says Jesus, when Yahweh fed the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. Don't focus on the person who gave you the bread, Moses. Focus on the Father who gives you true bread from heaven. What Jesus is setting before their eyes is that yes, there is physical bread, but there is also eternal, true bread. What Jesus is saying in verse 35, when He says, I am the bread of life, He is asserting something astounding about the manna that fell in the desert in Exodus chapter 16 and the feeding of the 5,000. He is saying, I fulfill these events. They point to me. That the spiritual reality, that the bread in the wilderness pointed to. That the bread by the seashore pointed to is Him. He is the bread of life. He is what's given by the Father to sustain His people through their earthly pilgrimage. He is the One who has come to feed and nourish us. God's nourishment for us is in Jesus. But if these people want the bread, they must come by faith. The true disciple of the bread of life is the disciple who comes and believes upon Jesus. Now I am of the mind that Christ is alluding to the Lord's Supper here. In John chapter 6 even though John will not record the upper room discourse where Jesus gives the Lord's Supper until John chapter 13. But I think John is actually inviting the readers to consider, to think, to the, uh, to the Lord's Supper that will come. Benjamin Glad says, how could we not discern echoes of the Lord's Supper here upon a second or a third reading of John's narrative? Look at verse 53. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What else can it mean? He must be speaking of the Lord's Supper. But this brings us back to the main point of our catechism here. Jesus is teaching us that the sacrament is spiritual in its nature. That's the whole point of this. The Lord has not come to feed your belly. He has come to nourish and refresh your souls. Just like the followers of John 6, we need to look to Jesus not for our body's sake, not for the sake of our minds, but so that our souls might be united to Him. The sacrament is spiritual. Boys and girls here this evening, turn this over in your minds. Though the sacraments have a physical element to them, what is presented to us in in the sacrament is that Christ is spiritually present. This was misunderstood by the Jews of old. We saw their misunderstandings. But there are still common misunderstandings today about the sacrament. Question 78 is actually highlighting both or excuse me, highlighting some common misunderstandings today. And what it's highlighting for us is what's called the Western or the Roman Catholic view of what's called transubstantiation. The Roman Catholics taught, and it became Roman Catholic dogma in the Fourth Lateran Council of 1215, that the bread and the wine intrinsically become the body and blood of Jesus. Transubstantiation. Trans means change. Substantia means substance. That the substance changes intrinsically to the body and blood of Christ even though they appear to our eyes as bread and wine. But the doctrine of transubstantiation actually commits some of the same errors that the Jews were guilty of in John chapter 6. Robert Lethem in his book on the Lord's Supper brings this out. He says one of the first errors of transubstantiation is, listen to this, that it confuses the sign, the bread and wine, with the reality. What it points to. The body and blood of Christ. See, there is a hyperfixation on the bread at the expense of what it points to. Remember that physical signs are supposed to point us to a destination other than itself to direct us from itself to Jesus Christ. And the Catechism says that's not what's taking place in transubstantiation. But in fact, it's drawing attention to the sign. And it illustrates this very well. That in baptism, the waters here do not intrinsically become something else. But it points to 
the blood of Christ that truly does wash away sins. See, the bread and wine are physical signs that point us to a spiritual need. It doesn't point to itself. But the inevitable consequence of if the bread and wine turn into the literal body of Christ is that because Christ is so glorious, Christ is so always worthy of worship, Christ is so always worthy of adoration, that this bread now must be worshipped. Because it literally is Christ. And so when I was a young boy, I attended a Roman Catholic youth group. Because that's where the girls were. And so I got to learn a little bit about their practice of something called adoration. And what this means is that because when the priest uses the words of consecration, that the host becomes the literal body and blood of Christ, it must always be adored. I think it's logical. But what this means then, they said, is that somebody must always be in the presence, somebody always must be worshiping that host until it's consumed. Not only that, but when the bread is consecrated, it must be consumed. You can't throw away the body of Christ. You just threw Christ in the trash. You can't pour out the blood of Christ down the drain. That's Christ Himself. The consequence of this is, though, as Charles Spurgeon says, is that we're giving divine honor to something that isn't Christ. It's a piece of bread. In fact, if you flip to question 80 of the Heidelberg Catechism, just one page over, it says of the Mass, it is idolatry. To give honor, divine honor, Christ's honor, to something else. That's the second consequence. The third consequence, and maybe most crucially, is the doctrine of transubstantiation short-circuits the need for faith. You see, the Roman Catholics teach something in Latin called ex opera operato. Opera means operation, work. Literally means by the work it is worked. That by the act of consuming the bread, Christ imparts saving grace. Grace isn't received by faith. It's received by taking the bread. By consuming it. In John 6, the Jews misunderstood the sign because they looked, had a hyperfixation on the sign and they didn't see their need for faith in the sign. Here we're seeing both errors recommitted again in the doctrine of transubstantiation. Now the catechism also militates against what the, was the common view of the day, which was the Lutheran view of what's called consubstantiation. Transubstantiation is a Roman Catholic view. Consubstantiation is the view of the Lutherans, which, again, Lethem notes, was an innovation unprecedented in the Christian church. The view of, Roman, or the view of Martin Luther was that Christ's body was physically in heaven, and also physically with us on earth. Ubiquitously present in every aspect, 
And so the body of Christ was in, on, and under the host, physically present. He was everywhere. Look with me again at question 78. Do the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ? Look at the first sentence there. No. No. The Reformed have always taught that what Jesus is using when He holds up the bread and says, this is My body, in John 6 when He says, you must eat My flesh and drink My blood, is that Jesus is speaking in a figure of speech. And Jesus does this throughout John's Gospel. Seven times He says, I am the Good Shepherd. I am the gate. I am the vine. And so on. Does Jesus literally become a gate? Does Jesus literally become a vine? The Catechism is actually drawing that out. That Jesus also says, that, or excuse me, the Scriptures also say that Jesus' blood is what washes us in baptism, but it doesn't turn into blood. Jesus uses figures of speech. And also, when He holds up that bread and wine, He is using a figure of speech. Now for our young people today, a word of application here. There are a broad spectrum of views concerning the Lord's Supper. And the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran have a very close association with the sign and what it points to. That they're almost virtually the same thing. But young people who are here today, in our generation, it has become more popular to disassociate the sign from what it points to. As if the sign and what it points to are a million miles away and have nothing to do with each other. We call this the memorial view. That it's just a funeral service. Just a memorial But what I want to show you in our second point is that it's better to see that Christ is spiritually present in the bread and wine. It's better to see that Christ is spiritually present in the bread and wine. You see, our catechism has put us in quite a bit of a conundrum here. Okay, It is rightly pointed out that the Roman Catholic dogma of transubstantiation nor the Lutheran doctrine of consubstantiation are accurate reflections of Christ's teachings. They are misunderstandings. But what do we do with Jesus' words in verse 51, which says, I am the living bread that came out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give him will be life, or give for the life of the world, is also my flesh. In other words, we need to come back to the original question. What does is mean? And let us be clear here that when believers partake of the Lord's Supper, you really and truly do partake of the flesh and blood of Jesus. There is the real presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. 
Question 79. Christ has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that just as bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too His crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. That it is not due to the miracle of transubstantiation or to the confusion of Christ's attributes and consubstantiation, but it is affected by the power of the Spirit. Christ is spiritually with us at this table. And this is better. In order to understand this, we must understand something of the person of Jesus. That Christ's body right now is in heaven. That when He came and He was born of the Virgin Mary, He took on a human body. When Jesus was on earth, He was as human as you and me. But in Lord's Day 18, did we not learn that the human body of the Lord was taken up into heaven in His ascension? And that Jesus' living, breathing, alive body exists there. And there He told us He will remain in heaven at the Father's side until He comes in judgment. So when the Reformed say that we dine on Christ spiritually, we are not saying that Christ needs to come down. But we are saying that Christ lifts us up. That by the power of the Spirit, He brings us to where He is. That the Spirit takes a physical thing and makes a real a spiritual connection between us here in Caledonia, Michigan and Jesus as He exists in heaven. Paul says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's the Spirit who gives us communion with Christ. I mean, really think about it this evening. John Calvin says, when the Scripture speaks of our participation in Christ, it assigns the whole force of it to His Spirit. All the benefits we receive in this life, justification, sanctification, perseverance, glorification, are all given to us by the power of the Spirit. Why would communion with Him be any different? This is better. It is better to have Jesus present with us by the Holy Spirit. Because we do not have union with a crucified man. We have union with the heavenly man who was crucified for us. And it's a guarantee that all that was His was now ours. His suffering, His obedience, and even His eternal life. It's better that Jesus doesn't have to come down to us. 
because we are lifted up to Him by His Spirit. That means wherever we are, wherever the Lord leads us, we can abide in Him when we consume Him spiritually. It's not about the work of man. It's not about the work of our hands. It's not about us at all. It's about what this work of God the Spirit does for us. It's better because we have a foretaste of heaven. In our liturgy of the communion, at the communion table, we say these words, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift them up to the God of our salvation. What we're saying here is exactly what the Bible teaches. That in communion, He brings us to where He is. How high do our hearts go? All the way to heaven. It's in the heavenly place. The secret place. Jesus gives us not only physical bread, but He truly feeds and nourishes our souls with the spiritual body and blood of Christ. So let's conclude this evening. What does is mean? That when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we remember His sacrifice and death, but it's also communion. Koinonia. That's what participation means. That we have communion, real communion, with the body and blood of the risen Savior. And that when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are really and truly joined to Him and experience spiritual fellowship with Jesus. So much so, says the Catechism, that as surely as we eat and drink this bread and wine, so truly do we share in His true body and blood. This is ours by the work of the Holy Spirit applying Christ to us. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful God, we do give You thanks for this day. Thank You, Lord, that we are able to come into Your house and to have this spiritual communion with You. That it's not in the sign. It's not in us, but it's in who the sign points to. Communion points to You, Lord. And the spiritual communion we have in Christ. Father, we give You thanks for the sacrament. And we pray, Lord, that we would rightly discern it. That we would not be participants in the misunderstandings that have so plagued Your people throughout generations. But we would be a people who embrace what the sign points to. Father, work this faith in our hearts that we might come to believe it more and more every day of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.